take your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, this is a classical series. I have a series on classical passages. This is a, added to that. Uh, it's a new message for me. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 31 is a classical area in, the, in theology classes. Uh, anywhere in about any uh, fundamental Bible college, you will have to memorize verses 18 through 31 and know them pretty well. Let's see if I can get this right here. I got my, all right. What is God doing? What is God doing? The, the big picture, what is God doing? That's the title of the sermon. What is God doing? Imagine what the apostles and the disciples wondered in that first century. Uh, that ragtag, if I may call them, band of mostly uneducated men, uh, 11, of course, we know Judas was really never one of them, uh, but a ragtag group of people without a whole lot of uh, uh, formal training. Of course, Jesus came the same way. He came without formal training. He, came, he did not go through the institutions of his day. He was an outsider at the very best. Uh, and his people that followed him, his apostles especially, were also. A little bit, a few of them, uh, more educated than others. But ultimately, they were not... Uh, even close to what an average uh, fundamental uh, Bible school would put out as a graduate today, but did not have those kind of tools. But they did have the Lord Jesus. And when you have the Lord Jesus, you can, those, those other tools can, can be gone, and he'll help you overcome it. They were asked to take a brand new message, and I mean brand new to this world. In, in many respects, a radical message a largely negative message uh, to the, their world. This thing called the gospel, uh, their, this gospel would be ultimately against their country, against their religion, against their families. Uh, their own moms and dads would be against them in many cases. The heathen around them were entrenched in false religion and idolatry. And this thing called the gospel would stir them up and be against them. Because when you, can, when you present the gospel to someone, it contradicts what they believe to be true. Someone that has never heard the gospel, someone that's not familiar with the gospel, when you begin to show them the gospel, tell them the gospel, it's, it's going to be new truth to them, and it's going to just generally contradict whatever their background is. And I don't know, and I don't care how you can try to, to package the gospel. If you, if you speak the true gospel to people, there is no easy way of telling anyone that they're wrong. I haven't found it. It's just not easy to tell anyone, by the way, what you believe for 40 years, uh, uh, that's wrong. What, what your parents believed and what your grandparents believed and what your great-grandparents believed, uh, I'm sorry, but it was wrong. And in many cases, when you present the gospel to people, that's what you're doing. And you can understand the reaction uh, you get and that they got when they did that. Uh, Paul, Paul had the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ on him, the brand marks, the scars from being beaten so many times. I, as a physician, you, you probably read through that and are personally amazed, I know I am, but a physician would even be more amazed 
the fact that they didn't get uh, a systemic infections and die. They got beat. They were thrown in a rat-infested, fecal-infested prison with no help, no open-source flies, and they didn't get infected. I mean, to the point where it didn't, you know, endanger them. They lived. I think it was God. God basically said, Paul, you're going to get beat a whole bunch. I'll show you what great things you're going to suffer for my name. I don't think Paul had an idea at that moment how great, but, but really Paul wasn't going to die until God said it was time to die. And he wasn't going to get an infection like the average person would if they got open sores like that. But Paul has scars upon scars upon scars, uh, unbelievable looking. And what was it from? Presenting the gospel. Basically, Paul went around presenting the gospel, preaching Jesus. Um, you know, you're, you're telling people when you, when you preach the gospel, if you reject it, there are eternal consequences for rejecting it. You're telling them, if you reject this, you're going to go to a place of God's wrath, a place the Bible calls hell, a place of eternal torment. And I mean, there's just no easy way that you're going to do that. The reaction is violent, oftentimes very nasty. If you read through the book of Acts, what you basically see is a very nasty, I mean, you see some people saved, amen? You see some people react and love, love the Lord and can get converted. But in large part, you see people reject it. I mean, in Lystra, they take him out, they stone him. I think personally Paul died, and that's when he had his heaven experience. Uh, they take him into the third heaven and told things were unlawful to mention. I'd love to know what those were. Unlawful to mention means they were told not to mention it. And it would have been unlawful for him to tell us because he was told not to tell us. But I want to know. Are you curious what Daniel was, what Daniel was told? And he was said, seal that up. Are you curious about the seven thunders? I'm curious about the seven thunders. What was in those seven thunders that would make a difference for us to know? But in the book of Revelation, those seven thunders were sealed till the end times. And they're going to have somehow, they're going to be, I want to know. I'm just curious. Inquiring minds want to know. Brother, I shouldn't have said that, right? But God gave Paul this message, I believe in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 through 31, to help him to understand what is going on in the big picture, but also to help you and to help me as we live. And so let's quickly read through verse 18 through 31, and then I want to kind of make a few comments on it. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. That's the world's prudent and the world's wise. And I think, I think this is, of course, I'm going to say it again. Uh, this, these questions are kind of mockingly asked. Oh, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching. What's going on here tonight? To save them that believe. For the Jews, they require a sign. The Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews, a stumbling block. And under the Greeks, foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, 
Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And you that are saved here tonight, that's who he is to you. Because the foolishness of God, the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh and not many mighty, not many noble are called. For God has chosen the foolish things. That word appears a lot. The foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound. Notice twice I mentioned confound the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world, and in some degree that's us, and the things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, the things which are not, which are considered nothing, to bring to naught the things that are. Why? Why? that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto you wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. We have, there is no place in the Christian's life for egotism. There is absolutely no room in your life and my life for pride. The first time you start thinking that I really got this thing together or I've really been, I'm really something for God, you're so far away from the truth, you can't believe it. But when you start thinking, the only reason I've done anything is because of God, oh, well, now you're more in line with the big picture of things. Let me start going back. I'm going to make a few comments going back to verse 18 and work my way down. First of all, I see two contradictory wisdoms in this passage. We have man's wisdom versus God's wisdom. First, God uses preaching as his preferred vehicle to insult man's wisdom. I get that. The foolishness of preaching is to insult the wisdom of man. Now, you and I would have never chosen preaching as a form to spread the gospel. We would have written books, we would have done it other ways, but not the preaching. I mean, I go all over the country, and I go to little, little Baptist churches all over, most time 20 people, 15 people, 30 people, and a guy gets up there with sometimes very little to no formal education. Sometimes they don't speak well. Sometimes they slaughter the king's English. Sometimes, I've, I've heard hillbillies, they got their own language, man. East Kentucky folks, Sometimes those folks make up words. I don't know where they get this, you know, uh, and, and, and yet they'll get up there, and the power of God comes. I thought, there it is. God let that old boy, and because he's willing to do the will of God, and he begins to proclaim the good news, God comes. The world goes, well, you've got to have a bachelor's degree, and you've got to have a master, you've got to have a PhD, you've got to have oratory, oratorical skills. No, you don't. Brother, if God calls you to do something, he'll empower you to do it. Why? Because he's going to get the glory, not you. I love it when people tell me, I don't think I can teach. I'm just too shy. You're a candidate for a teacher, brother. I love it when people come and tell me, preacher, I could never do that. You're a candidate for God because God loves to do stuff through people that don't believe that they can do it. And by the way, you can't do it. But God can do it through you. It's beautiful. In, in, in verse 18, for the preaching of the cross and other perish foolishness, but unto us is saved is the power of God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. It was considered foolish. Now look the word up. 
We get our word moronic to be a moron. Now, don't call anybody a moron. Don't do it if you use it. I don't know. I'm not thinking of a soul here tonight. But if you, if you, if you get in the habit of saying he's a moron, stop it. You're in danger of hellfire. Don't do it. Jesus warned about that. Uh, uh, don't, but, but when God does it, it's good. When God does it, you, it's good. But when, don't you go around calling people morons. Don't do it. Uh, but, but these people, uh, these people refer to foolish. When it mentions this word, it's mentioned often. It's talking about it like a moron, somebody that's been two quarts low. Their elevator don't go all the way to the top. They were born with a retardation, educably slow. You got it? God, knowing this, chose it as his favorite method to spread the gospel. In verses 19 through 21, we see God's disdain for man's wisdom. Uh, he said, I'll destroy the wisdom of the wise. I'll bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. We know this because when he destroy, he's going to destroy. You know, all of these wild and crazy human wisdom things that they've made up are going to be vanished and nothing. They're all going to go away. And only what's going to be left is what God said. Amen? Oh, the world and the universe could not have been created in that short a time. He'll destroy their wisdom. Oh, I, they believe evolution is a fact. Their wisdom is moronic. He mocks them by asking where. Where are those people that disputed me? Where are they now? Where is Voltaire now? Where, where's, where's Bill Buckley now? Some of these super intellects, intellects that rose up and you know, commanded attention you know, by their ability to recite and ability to remember and their ability to, to reason. Where are they now? They're gone. Death is called the great leveler, isn't it? But God's still here. Their wisdom could not keep them alive. I think of uh, the Apple guy, uh, uh, Jobs. Uh, he was, when I say wealthy, he was really, really wealthy. He couldn't spend all the money he had. If he wanted to spend it, now, if it, my wife may, may have been able to spend it, but he was not able to spend all his money. No, my wife's frugal. But, uh, but you know, the point being, uh, uh, you know, he just, won, he just had a lot of dough. But at 50-some years old, he got cancer. I think at 56, he died. The best care he got, where was his wisdom then? See, he needed God, didn't he? He didn't think he needed God, but he needed him. Because when you face death, you're going to need God. All the, all a lot of their wisdom of the world is just hot air. Their high-sounding theories, their myths that they come up with, global warming. You don't have to take care of this planet. You don't have the ability to take care of this planet. Now, I'm not for wasting. I'm not for cutting stuff down. You don't eat it. I'm for saving everything you can save. I'm for keeping water clean and the air clean. That's just common sense. That's just horse sense or stable thinking. I mean, come on. You don't want to just waste this place. But, man, we don't have the power to control the weather of this old thing. And God bless America for hurricanes. That's God's air conditioners. They cool the planet off. If it gets too hot, he'll send more hurricanes, more hurricanes, cool it down. We'll be in good shape. 
If it needs to be heated up, it'll be heated up. I think he's done a pretty good job. Thirdly, we see in verse 22 through 24, the two reactions to truth. No matter how God packaged it, they rejected it. The Jews wanted a sign, you know. Uh, they would Give us a sign. Give us some sort of a sign. The Greeks wanted wisdom. They, they wanted it to be explained to them. I think of a passage in, cha- in Luke chapter 7, verse 33 to 35, where John the Baptist came. He, Jesus' words, by the way. John the Baptist came uh, neither eating nor drinking wine. And you say, he hath the devil. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. And you say, behold, a gluttonous man, a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. Uh, Basically, no way that truth was presented would they accept it. No way, no whatever form it was presented to them. You know, John the Baptist was a wild, woolly guy out in the wild. They didn't. They thought that man's got a devil. Jesus was a a normal guy with the rest of the people. He's a wine-bibber, a glutton. They wouldn't accept it. The, the Jews required a sign. So no matter, no matter how you, you know, sometimes people come up and say, well, now, Brother Bill, if you would just be a little nicer, people would respond to you. I've tried it. It don't work. The point of it is the gospel is either, it's not going to be recepted, received or rejected on how nice or whatever. You, people think, we sometimes humanly want to believe that the, the package is more important than the message. All them old preachers of all, all they preached on was hellfire and damnation. I don't want to go to church where they preach on hellfire and damnation. But let me tell you something. Back when them old boys were in the pulpits across America, you didn't have to lock your car. You left your key in it. You didn't have to lock your house. Well, our house, we, our locks didn't even work. It had skeleton keys. You couldn't even use them. You can get in and out of our house anytime. We lived there our whole life, never had a break-in. I never even heard of a break-in. I didn't hear of a crime in our, our town of Elkhart, Indiana, the time I was raising up. Uh, and that's when them old boys were in the pulpits across America. All I can say, the results speak a whole lot more. Now you got a bunch of pan, I got to be careful here. Bunch of pansies, feathered, puffed up, lemonade, pink lemonade, preachers in the pulpit, trying to romance the people to come. I mean, give them what they want. Do every. Never say a negative thing. Just preach positive. People like that Crystal Cathedral guy who went, by the way, went bankrupt. I'm glad for that. That guy was a heretic. I mean, I probably may drive some of you out here, but Joel Olstein is a heretic. I know what he believes. He's a heretic. Let's just call it for what it is. Oh, but I like him. He says good things. False prophets do say that. That's what they do. I'm not his final judge. The Gentiles, they want something that makes sense to them. The Jews stumble over the gospel. The Gentiles ridicule it as moronic, silliness, absurd. That's what this word means, silliness or something absurd. The believer accepts it as the power of God and the wisdom of God and accepts it in a childlike faith. Why Why did God do it this way? Why? Why did God do it this way? to prove them wrong and that they were moronic or foolish for rejecting God's wisdom. God 
by the, by the way he did it, tweaked their egotistical, mythological intellects with childlike message preached by a bunch of fault-filled, red-faced Baptist preachers. And God says, uh, you're not getting it any other way. This is the way you're going to get it. And he mocked them because they thought they were so superior, intellected. You okay? Somebody need to go with her? You okay? Okay, huh? I don't think she should be there by herself, Brother Moon. In verse 26, 28, we see a message for fools. <laughs> the gospel, a message for fools. You see your calling, brethren. You see your calling, brethren. That not many wise, that's us. <laughs> not many mighty, that's us. Not many noble, we weren't one of those. So we weren't one of the wise, we weren't one of the mighty, we weren't one of the noble, are called. But God had chosen the what, what? Look at that, look at that in verse 27. God chosen the weak things, that is us, to confound the things of the mighty. He's chosen the base things, that's us. Uh, he's chosen the things which are despised to bring it. That's us. Why did God do this? To confound their pride. To confound, twice the words used. The word, I looked the word up. The word confound means to shame down. He's shaming them down. Disgracing them. These are definitions, connotative definitions. He's dishonoring them. He is making them, the word naught can mean useless or void. Those who bragged about their superior intellects and knowledge were the ones that were the fools after all. So we see in verse 29 the ultimate income, the outcome of it all that no flesh should glory in his presence. The reality sinks in, and I hope you get it tonight real good, the reality sinks in that God is all and all. A man is nothing without God. Uh, I don't care if you preach and hundreds of thousands of people uh, show up to hear you, God is all in all, and you're nothing. That's the way it's got to be, because that is the truth of it all. It causes no flesh to glory. We will not take credit for what we've done here, but we will give him the credit because the credit is due him. Amen? God is the one that gave you your mind. God is the one that gave you the ability of your mind, however that may be. Whatever your IQ may happen to be is really somewhat of a natural gift from God. Amen? You've been to school. You've been to, you've been to college. You've been to college. You've been to school. You've been to high school. Some of those kids... They, they, they hear it one time, they retain it, they go in and get an A on the test. Every time they come out, they say, that test was easy. I say, sure it is. When you get all the questions right, you knew all the answers, the test was easy. But what about for the rest of us? What about the C students? I loved when old uh, George Bush went and talked at a college commencement, and he was a C student, a very average student in school. He says, what happens to you when you're a C student? You become president of the United States. I thought, oh, praise the Lord. C students run the world. Bob Jones did a study on their A students, their real top students, and, and, and by far a majority of their top students failed. 
as life went on. And the ones who persisted and made it through life were their C students. By the, it makes sense to me. The C student's got to work for what he gets. C student, don't listen to it, go on there, take a test, put the answers down and get it. C student's got to stay up till 2, 3 in the morning, drink 5, 6 cups of stiff coffee so he don't fall asleep and study till 2, 3 in the morning, get up at 5 in the morning, cram a little bit more. And then his wife asks him what the answers were and he can't remember what they are because he's so, so wired on coffee now and grouchy with no sleep. He, go, he goes in and takes the test and half of them answers he never even saw them before. Am I in the right class? And that A student walks out of there. Man, that was easy. But the C student beats him up outside. I know I'm bad. I'm just going to tell you. I'm just going to tell you I'm bad. Don't, don't go around and spread it. But I love the bumper that says, my, my C student beat up your honor roll student. I just, I'd, put that on, I'd put that on my truck. I'll tell you, if I, once I retire out of the ministry, I got a whole bunch of bumper stickers I want to put on my truck <laughs> that I'm not able to do as your pastor. We, I represent everybody. Now, now, what am I saying to those A students? Don't you for a moment get cocky about that. It's because of God. Give him the glory. You see, students, give him the glory. You're the flunked out. Give him the glory. Amen. You got to have people that fail. If you've ever been much into teaching, they have this thing called uh, the curve. And if you don't have F students, you didn't do the right job. Class wasn't hard enough. Did you know that? Did you all know that? That they expect to have F students in school? I had a teacher one time at this school, and I checked, and everybody in her class got an A. We fired her. The only teacher I ever had to fire. I said, you cannot teach here anymore. You're not teaching these kids. She says, well, they all try so hard. I said, are you out of your mind? What planet are you from? This ain't, that ain't the right deal. Come on. There's competition out there, brother. And the grade system basically tells you, you got to get, you know, it challenges you to get this. You should have so many A's, so many B's, so many C's, and a few F's. Obviously, we're not trying to flunk kids out. That's not our goal. But it happens in the real world of education. But we'll not take a bit of credit for anything that's done through us. No, no, no. We give him the credit. Why? Because that's the truth. And remember who wrote this. Paul, through the Holy Spirit. You know, most of you know what Paul had to go through. But I'm going to tell you this. Paul was a genius. Okay? Paul had the IQ. Paul was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And it's said of Pharisees that oftentimes Pharisees would have the Old Testament memorized. That's a lot of memorization. You're going to have really a photo. I've met only two or three people in my life that have an honest-to-goodness photographic memory. When they see something once, it's there. They can tell you what page in the book a quote is. They can start. I had a teacher one time that we tested. I've told you this before. We were in grad school, and we knew something of the Bible, and we would go in there and try to stump him. He would say at the beginning of class, I want you to try to stump me. 
start any verse anywhere in the Bible, and I'll quote the verse before it, I'll quote that verse, and I'll quote the verse after it, word perfect. We never stumped him. He was 26 years old. He's doing good still today. But I've never met a guy like that. But you know what he struggled with? Humility. Humility. Because if you were that smart, you'd want to think you were better than everybody else, wouldn't you? Human nature, I want to make you, I'm a little, I'm of the superior intellect. But he wasn't. He was a humble man. He was a broken man. He loved God. And I'm not, now I'm not going to name your name, but he's a wonderful man. He got his PhD from Bob Jones, 25 years old. And one of the youngest guys I think had ever got a PhD at Bob Jones. Unbelievable. But a spiritual man. But he says, God's goal for us is that we understand this truth, the big picture. Why is God doing this the way he's doing it? Why is he sending his people, his infirm people, his, his earthen vessels all over the world to preach the gospel to every creature? Because the power of God is not the, not the vessels he sends it in and not even the method he uses to propagate it. The power is in the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation. Amen? For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. That's why you go door to door. You may go door to door and you may stutter. You may go to door to door and you may, you may slaughter the... You may, you may fidget. You may do your glasses 25 times. You may, you may spit. But brother, if you'll just somehow give the gospel, the gospel will manifest its power because the glory does not go to the vessel. The glory goes to God. That's the big picture of it all. It makes sense to me. And boy, it makes me feel better. But of him, he says, and you're in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto you wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. You know, the devil has lied to us. The flesh has believed it. The world has embraced it. But those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel reject the lie of the world. And we realize the truth that God is all in all. Glory to him in the highest. Praise God from whom all, how many? All blessings flow. If God be for you, who can be against you? Glory to God. Brother, we serve a risen Savior in the world today. I mean, we're, we, I know we go through trials. I know we're going to go through. There's a certain amount of suffering that God has everybody go through. Uh, it, it sweetens it. It gives your experience some depth. That's why I allow some of that going on. But ultimately, he gets the credit for it all. And then... We glory in him. We glory. That's the very last verse. We, we just give him the glory. Praise God. Imagine in heaven when everybody's made it, those who, are gonna, those who got saved and those who are in heaven and were there uh, at, 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 the, at the throne of God. Jesus is there. And imagine the gratitude that's going to come out of us. Imagine the gratitude that's going to pour out of us. When I see... Brother Earl, they all go, Earl, we made it, man. We made it. We made it. Where's Nick at? I said, Nick, he made it. Nick, 
Won't it be great to meet in heaven, Nick? I told somebody today, and they were going north and say, you know, a lot of these people, when they go north, it's a one-way trip. They don't come back. They die up there, and we don't see them again. I hate that. But, you know, I said, hey, every one of them, I try to tell them this if they ask me. I say, I want to I meet you on the corner of glory and hallelujah where they intersect in, the, in, the, in that golden city. I hope there's a road of glory, and, and otherwise I'm going to say, well, no, I don't know where to meet. I tell you, no, I never showed. I don't know. <laughs> I never showed. I want to meet him. Think of the gratitude. All oh, there'll be no fact. The world says that's not true. That's for you know. They say that we're imbeciles. We're simple-minded people. We need a crutch. What a surprise it will be for them. Father, help us tonight to understand the big picture. Help us to understand that there'll be no flesh glory in your presence. Help us not to ever, not have the slightest bit of egotism or self, uh, uh, self uh, glory, but to give you the honest glory for it all. You birthed us, you held us in the womb, we were too small to see with the naked eye. You allowed us to come out of the womb alive, then not to die from, here to there, from there to here. You've kept us alive, allowed us to grow, allowed us to have a mind to think, to reason, allowed us to have feet to move around, function. Thank you, Father. May we, Lord Jesus, give you the credit, give you the honor, give you the praise. Not because we have to, but because it's the truth. It's the truth. And, Father, there could be someone in this room that you've helped tonight, that by this passage you've helped them. You've helped them see something they've never seen before. May you grow us, Father, into your image and your likeness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida, also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.